As we know, beloved listeners, a generation of young men have uh, flocked to Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria and other conflict zones to fight. Perhaps they hated Bashir al-Assad or the Americans. Perhaps they were fighting for Islam. Perhaps they wanted some excitement. What was the experience like? What is it like to fight and return to ordinary life in Britain, particularly when your war must be kept a secret? The acclaimed British investigative journalist Tam Hussein has spent two decades reporting on jihadism and has just released The Darkness Inside about British jihadists and, most intriguingly, it's a novel. Tam is a contributing editor at New Lines magazine and the author of two books. His writing has appeared thither and yon. He's broken stories with BBC Newsnight, ITV News and other outlets, and he's talking to me from London. Welcome to our Little Wireless program. Tam, you've spent so many years following war and reporting on it. Why the move to fiction? Well, thank you for having me, Philip. Um, well, firstly, I've always loved loved um, stories. I've always written short stories and, and novellas and so on. So it's, I, I actually believe it's the best medium to explore really, really deep ideas. That's one thing, just generally. I think, you, you know, this is probably why we still read the Iliad or the Odyssey and so on, because we find truth in it. Um, but with regard to this story in particular, I actually wanted to write a, you know, a book, um, a non-fiction book on kind of why these young men are going to fight in Syria. Unfortunately, at least in, in, in Britain, because of the terror threat, there are a lot of anti-terror, you know, anti-terror laws that have been instituted. And, and the problem with those laws are, well, I mean, of course, they're well-intentioned and so, so forth, is that they bleed into other arenas which is kind of you know which could harm democracy in the sense that you know we have the fourth estate which is the press and that has to be kept separate but when you're dealing with these cases and some of these is related to terrorism sometimes the police will actually give you a production order which means which means that they will come after your material so you're so a novelist I'm, protecting your sources exactly so there's what a paradox one, what does one do? yeah exactly uh, so this is this is a problem that happened to many of us, and many journalists, um, where, wherein you have to protect your sources. So when I told my publishers, "Listen, I'd like to do this," they were very. They, whilst they were keen, they thought it was very, very valuable because it's a, it's a historical, you know, it's a it's a very important period of our history. But you can't tell that story because they always worried about the police giving them a production order saying, "We want the sources, we want the material." And of course, smaller publishers or large, they, they look, they're very, very averse. You know, they're averse to these kind of things, bad publicity, as well as, you know, legal costs. So they would always shy away from it. So I thought, how, how, how does one tell that story? And I thought, OK, fiction is a very, very good way of telling that story because essentially it's fiction. Right. So but you can still get those truths out there without you know, having to reveal sources or, 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 or anything like that. So you can kind of get the spirit out there. And that's, that's one of the reasons I thought I'd, I'd focus on fiction. So not only were these stories <clears throat> untold, they were possibly going to be lost. Yes, exactly. That, that's exactly uh, the problem. Because I, th I think to myself, a lot of people, 
even now, I mean, I know a lot of people um, who fought, who are bus drivers and so on, and they, they won't tell their stories. Because even the doctor, if, 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 let's say if they have mental health issues, even the doctor has a duty to actually um, inform because he may he himself may fall foul of anti-terror laws. Um, I mean, of course, the judiciary will deal with that in a different way. But, you know, if you have someone who is experiencing these issues, you know, from a, a letter PTSD and so on and so forth, uh, he can't necessarily express that to the doctor either because that person may come under a duty to inform the police because of the ter- these terror laws. And that's, that's what I mean. It bleeds, in, it bleeds into other aspects of our society. Um, so it, so that's, that's, that's one issue with regards to it being lost, if that makes sense. When, when an Australian soldier or a British soldier return from active duty, they come back to, uh, well, to praise and recognition. These folks cannot expect that for a second. Absolutely. But not only that, uh, the British or Australian soldiers, they also have a support network. You know, so if they do suffer from, let's say, PTSD or any of these issues, there is a support network there to help them, you know, deal with that. Uh, in, in, in this case, they don't necessarily have that, you know. Tam, when, when did you first get exposed to the idea or the ideas of jihadism? Was it discussed much when you were growing up? So, yes. So I grew up in the 90s. Now, it's, it was very, very different in those days because what you had, London was, London or Britain was a center for a lot of political exiles from the Middle East, and they settled there. Um, these political exiles, some of them were Islamists with, with, you know, sometimes they were moderate ideas, sometimes they were extreme and so on and so forth. Now, coming off the back of Afghanistan, um, the British authorities didn't, really turn a blind eye on it because they didn't really worry about it because they weren't, you know, these Arab exiles were were agitating against the, the, their governments, right? But you also, of course, because of colonialism, you, you also have a Muslim diaspora who settled in Britain. Um, and I, I, and my, my ancestry, we've been in the UK for about 100 years. So we, 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 we belong to that, to that um, diaspora. Now, that is quite a volatile experience, if that makes sense, because you have you have these ideas coming from the Middle East. At the same time, you've got a Muslim diaspora trying to find a fee, trying to find out who they are, and so on and so forth. And they're in these university campuses, and these ideas are coursing through. So I was studying history uh, at uh, University of London when I came across, you know, Friends, most of these guys weren't studying the arts. They were kind of computer guys, you know, quite binary scientists in a way. Very, they, they didn't uh, think the arts give you nuance. And I think that they weren't, you know, they didn't necessarily have that nuance and they were dragged into that. And I saw friends who were dragged into that current and some of them died in Afghanistan. Some of them went off and did these things. So, so this is something that actually struck me. Like what happened to these men that I, that, you know, some of them stayed over in my house. You know, we still, you know, we introduced them to literature and so on and so forth, and they ended up, um, ended up in Afghanistan and and so on. So, for, look, forgive me for interrupting. Me. You you talk about them being dragged in, but surely there was a great degree of willingness, it, as well as I mean, sorry, I I, it's true. You're absolutely right. There is also agency. I don't I don't think that we should look at them as, you know, I don't like the idea that they're passive. That's also true. 
But, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, we also have to take into account that when you are, when you're young, you're often very foolish. Uh, so when you take into that, take into account the inexperience and the willingness, you know, for excitement, because war is very exciting. Um, I can tell you that from, from my own experiences. It's an, it, you live immensely intensely. And when you go back, you just need to, you know, adjust again. Now, when you're young and you want adventure, as well as there's this idea, um, and you've got these demagogues who are also kind of pointing to all the horrors that we see on the TV, it's quite easy, in a way, to get dragged into that. Now, that's, that's you, cle- I mean. you clearly were not seduced, but were you tempted? No, but what I would say is I understood it. Because I don't know if you remember, I mean, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I'll tell you, one of the defining wars that really struck me was probably Bosnia. And I think it affected nearly every British Muslim growing up in the 90s, because this is the first time we kind of saw saw a conflict which was so brutal, you know, coming into our homes. And we were, we were you know, we were... 93 we were just becoming kind of i suppose politically conscious and aware of the world that we we lived in so it wasn't so much the temptation it was much more like hang on what's going on and i could see why people were dragged into that because you you also had the chechenian conflict which remember these videos and the internet was at its uh, in its early days and this was coming into our homes and this was shared and so on and so forth for the first time in in many ways we could see this very very clearly and as you know young men think we need to do something about it you know we need what, what does one do when this is happening around the corner in europe and so on you know six hour drive and so on so you could see that emotive force that were driving these these men there, if that makes sense. So yes, um, I understood it for sure. I think a lot of people understood that sentiment. Now, of course, jihad is a martial tradition that yes. has long existed within Islam, but it starts to change its character. Yes. Um, so, you know, all nearly everyone. I think a lot of Muslims, they, they, they name their, you know, for example, I myself named my son after a great warrior. But um, this, how we were raised with regards to that, and, you know, if you have a chance, there's a great film called The Message by, done by the uh, Halloween director, Mustafa Akkar. It kind of gives you, gives you a sense. We were kind of raised on these sorts of films where, you know, when, when you talk about jihad, you see, let's say, Bin Laden. When, 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 I, when I hear that word, it basically evokes all the kind of the chivalric ideas of what it's meant to be, if that makes sense. Well, right? your, you know, you mum, your mum raised you on yeah. the principle that jihad was you defending your home. Yes, which everyone can kind of understand. If, if let's say, the Germans came to Britain, you'd defend your home and you, you know, if you died defending your home, you'd be a hero, you'd be a martyr and so on and so forth. So it was that kind of everyone understands that, if that makes sense. It was never an understanding that one one goes out this global, almost, you know, it had, you know, like a crusade almost. That's, that's never something that we've understood it as, if that makes sense, right? So, you know, or, you know, the image of Saladin with this noble, you know, even, you know, this noble Saracen or noble knight who will give 
you know, who will even treat his enemies kind, uh, you know, in a in a chivalric way. These are the kind of things that we culturally absorbed. So when we saw these things happening around the world, you know, for example, with the nine eleven and, and and the twin towers, it's it's almost like an aberration, and they call it jihad. I'm like, hang on a second, what's going on here? And then this 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 is something that let's say a lot of people don't understand that you know there is a disjunct, and that's in my view. Uh, and I'd argue that it's to do with modernity. People, you know, modern, jihad became modern in many ways. It took on a lot of these mon- modernist ideas, and um, and and that 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 those roots lay in in the war the wars in Indochina, the Alger um, Algerians uh, f- fight for independence and so on and so forth. And a lot of these wars were absorbed, um, and then the jihad became different, as it were. You know, um, just just uh, just to remind you, if you look at, for example, even the war against the Soviets, um, which a lot of the Afghan factions, um, Afghan mujahideen, as they used to call them, uh, did, there was never uh, there were never discussions of suicide bombing. There were no suicide bombings or anything like that. Suicide bombers are a very modern phenomena. You know, the idea of blowing people up in the market, you know, of civilians, and it's. You know, we you know we read all of these traditions saying you can't kill civilians, you can't do this, you can't do to do that. So this is it's a very it's a it's very antithetical to what the tradition is meant to be. And let us remember that when the Syrian war broke out and young Brits went to fight against Assad, it was seen as well. They were seen as freedom fighters, pretty much in the vein of the International Brigade in the Spanish Civil War. Yes, initially uh, I came across a lot of a lot of foreign fighters who went in the early days, um, who who went in with that vein. You know, went in like uh, a lot of them also went to Libya, same with the same. You know, t- to take down the great dictator, as it were. And then I, things turned dark at the end of two thousand and twelve. I was actually there around that time, covering the story, and I and I sensed it. There was a you know, I went in in the early days and then in 2012, end of it. And I remember traveling um, and my God, I was so lucky because I had, you know, I, that's why I would suggest as you get older, you learn to listen to your gut because I was, as I was in the car, I said to my driver, listen, let's turn around, let's go back the other way. And had I gone through that checkpoint in Darkush, I, you know, I could have been dead because that day, there were, you know, there was a suicide bombing in that checkpoint, and seventy people died. You know, and I was so fortunate that we turned around and we went the other way. You know, it was muddy, but it was worth it because as soon as we landed, that's what we found out. Things had turned dark. You know, in twenty fourteen, um, you met a, an Australian foreign fighter who was known as the Coco Pops Jihadi. Yes. Tell me about him. So I later found out. I mean, he passed away. Later found out that his name was Nimr. Uh, he was from Sydney, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but at the time when I met him, it was the most bizarre experience because we're 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 in um, a small town, you know, running or you know walking around the rubble of schools, you know, of a destroyed school, and I get taken to this house, uh, walled house. I knock on the door, and then there you go. Um, this this uh, guy comes out, and he's got an Australian accent, and it's. It's like, you know, remember, we, we grew up with neighbors. So, you know, you've got a guy with a neighbor's accent um, and you're 
you think this bloody hell this is really bizarre you know i'm i'm in syria and there's a guy with a with an australian accent um you know who's taking me around and showing me around it was it was and desperate, desperate for cocoa bobs <laughs> as well so this is exactly what i'm saying it was just you know like you know and here's this person who think you know he's doing jihad and you know at the same time he's talking about cocoa pops you know it's just really jarring in 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 many ways you know um but you know um he in many ways this guy was uh, also uh, extreme because you know um the reason he had come he had, he had reason he had come he was he was an admirer of Osama bin Laden um because he said so you know he he said he told me that and I'm like okay clearly you know this the sources of learning that he had come from had been kind of off the internet mm-hmm. you know he hadn't been off he hadn't been off traditional sources he hadn't been off you know learned men as it were he had come off the internet because otherwise you know um why why would he look up to these sorts of people if that makes sense you know he was killed in an airstrike, as I learned from you, leaving behind a couple of kids. Now, parts of your novel take place in Libya and in Syria. There's yeah. a scene in Aleppo where the different factions are debating what to call a particular attack. And you get a sense of the tension and rivalry that existed on the ground between the different fighters. And then you say this tension travels back to the UK. So, there. I mean, sometimes it, when you can go to a village, in uh, at the time um, during the conflict, and you could come to a village, and there would be several battalions controlling that village. There was no kind of central command, if that makes sense. Uh, and that that was always, you know. Sometimes I remember coming across and reading a statistic for two hundred fifty six battalions in uh, rebel battalions in Syria. So there was no unity in many ways. And what we, what you found sometimes, so there, there is an account where, um, where in the book, whereby these men are killed, uh, during Ramadan by another faction, these things happened. These things definitely happened. And these are accounts that I heard. And these things, of course, traveled back, traveled, uh, came, these, these rivalries came back because there were some, one of the main split amongst the, amongst the foreign fighters, Australians included, was this great debate, debate which happened around 2012, end of 2012, beginning of 2013, of should we join ISIS or not? Because remember, ISIS was on the seed, just came onto the seed, and they were the most effective battalion or the most effective group because of their tactics. So there was this debate amongst foreign fighters whether we should join them or not and of course there were those that returned who had joined and there were those that hadn't joined and there was there was still that kind of rivalry that went on that's on a theological level of course but then there is because they 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 differed in their ideology right but then of course there were just the normal stuff that human beings go through which is about power which is about status and so on and so forth and friendship and loyalties and those things of course went with them as well and you you find this you know sometimes you, i still meet up with them and there will still be scathing of some of these guys um and so they they, they were they were so for for instance if you look at the if you look at london there were some amongst the north londoners who were far more educated there were graduates and those that were graduates, they would 
have a low opinion of the guys from West London who were from a different socioeconomic background. They were kind of from working class background. And they would, you know, they would, they would look down on them in the sense that uh, these guys are basically lummoxes. They don't, they don't understand. They just have no understanding of what the situation is. And they're, they're, they're running purely by emotion. Whereas the other guys, they were, saw themselves as being far more superior and far more cognizant of what the situation was. And in fact, I myself met you know, men who, whose education, you know, they left school at 14 and their worldview seemed to have been frozen that way, very, very conspiratorial. Um, and they, they filtered the world that way. And I thought to myself, my God, how, how on earth are you going to help these Syrians, you know, which you say you're going to do? Because you couldn't, you know, you, you, you couldn't do that. You, you, you're, a, you're a criminal in London. And now you're, you've come here. Of course, you've flourished because all of those talents that you applied uh, in London, you're, you're, you're applying it in the situation of war. So people look at you as a great hero. But how are you actually helping? Tam, um, Tam are, there, are there still young people heading to these uh, war zones for jihad? Um, not so much now. Um, not so much now, especially uh, Syria. Um, I think the the laws in place and the security services, you know, have really you know cracked down on that. And I think again, this is this is youthful. You know, when you when youthful ardor notices that you know we're not winning anymore, no one wants to be part of that team. If that makes sense, right? So when things were going good, everyone were flocking to it because it was a great adventure, right? And now that things are bad. They don't. Tam, thanks for your time. Much appreciated. I've been talking to Tam Hussein, British investigative journalist and author of the novel The Darkness Inside, which was published independently. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.